What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. I'm super excited for you to hear from Dr. John Jackson, president of William Jessup University. Him and I were connected several years back and I was sitting in his office and we just connected on such a rad level as we both have five kids. So since I've been doing this podcast, I've been eager to set up a time to talk with him You're going to enjoy this conversation. He's the father to five, an incredible leader and motivator. Please get ready to be inspired. And if you are, share it and write a review as my goal is to hit 100 reviews on iTunes by my 100th podcast, which is just around the corner. Fatherhood is critical, my friends, and you and I are responsible to let the world know. Awesome. Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. John Jackson. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Ned. What an honor to be with you today and to be with your uh, with your community. Oh, thank you so much. Is, is it okay if I call you John? You know what? That's totally preferred. The doctor stuff, only if it gets us something out in public. So, Okay, John's okay. So, John, you are the president of William Jessup University. Yes, I am. And how long has that been? How long have you been president there? Uh, believe it or not, over uh, nine years. Uh, I started March of 2011. I never planned on being a college president, and I never planned on being a president during a pandemic. So this is the this is a new yeah. season for all of us. Interesting time. Yeah, you and I had met once before, and I just remember us having a quick conversation, and that we both had five kids, and we that's what we ended up talking about, obviously, because that's what we care deeply about. So I've been looking forward to having you on the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast to talk to you about fatherhood. Well, thanks so much, and I got to tell you, Ned, I'm actually at a new season now. I've got three grandkids. Uh, my my children are, you know, from their 30s down to their early 20s, but now I've got three grand. They're all granddaughters, three granddaughters, and I am nutsoid about those beautiful little girls. So it's it's going to be great to talk to dads today. Oh, that's so exciting! And you know what? I mean, fatherhood never ends, right? So you know, my hope is that grandfathers, you know, get a hint that really their role with their grandkids is is just as important as a father. I mean, how much time and wisdom they have, like they need to be engaging with those grandkids. Uh, I hate to jump in, but man, Ned, that's such a Please. powerful thing. You know, we have so many men in our culture who maybe don't have children or don't have children close to them. Parenting is forever. I, I thought when I became a parent, it was like 18 years, but it's yeah. not. It's forever. You're always parenting one way or another. But what? even if you don't have your biological children close to you, you can father, you can impart, yes. you can press in to, there's so many children who need men in their lives. So maybe we'll get into that, but what a yeah, great insight. I, yeah, because fatherhood, I really think of fatherhood almost as a posture towards life. Like it's a position you hold, not just with your own kids, but with the way that you can see the world as a guide and as a servant. Because um, yeah, the world is in desperate need of fathers. 
Yeah, it is. And, and Ned, to be honest, I think language matters. And uh, we probably didn't intend to go this way. But I got to tell you, we've actually shied away from using the word fathers and mothers. And that that hurts my heart uh, mm. because I think it's in the heart of God to to father. It's in the heart of God to to mother, if I could not confuse folks. But I, I just think it's God's heart. And so when we we have a desperate need in our culture, in America at least, for fathering, for being yeah. able to be spiritually uh, economically, uh, relationally, in fathering relationships. It's such a powerful concept. Yeah, yes. Oh, I loved. I love it. So let me ask you a couple of questions. So uh, just to help people understand, they know you're president of, uh, of uh, university. Um, you have five kids. You're married. How long have you been married? Uh, believe it or not, man, it's so exciting. Uh, this August, uh, we'll be married 41 years. So yeah, congratulations. I'm, I'm 59. If you want to do some quick math, I was born in 61. So I'm 59 years of age, been married 41. By the way, recently somebody posted something saying, hey, uh, do married couples sleep on the same side of the bed like forever or do people out there actually switch up? So for 41 years, I've been sleeping on my side of the bed and she has her side. <laughs> That's, these are the important marriage issues. <laughs> yeah. So if you've ever been wondering, you will be sleeping on that same side forever. That's right. For however long it goes. Yep. So real quick, what have been a couple of good resources to you? You know, you've been through every season of being a father and then now a grandfather. What would you recommend as a couple of good resources to people as they are stepping into the fatherhood role? Great question. Uh, I'm going to just give you my number one book. My number one book was uh, written by a guy named Ted Tripp. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And for me, that book's so focused on um, being able to understand that it's not just about controlling behavior. It's about understanding what's in the heart of your son or daughter and mm. shepherding that. I, I think a lot of times we do behavior controls, you know, that sort of thing. So shepherding a child's uh, heart is a really good one. Uh, I love... Uh, Danny Silk's book, uh, Parenting on Purpose. That's a really good uh, resource. Uh, and then for me, and you'll just tell my age by this, um, Dr. Dobson was so helpful uh, as we were in those early parenting stages, especially parenting boys. We have three girls, two boys, and man, Ned, I don't know if you, I don't forget about how your children are arranged, but the boys came out of the womb different than the girls. Yeah. which was totally cool with me as a, as a dad of, uh, you know, as a father, but yeah. uh, it took a while for my wife to get used to in the same way, by the mm. way, I had to get used to parenting daughters. They, they're just different. Yeah. Little yeah. Boys, yeah. That's so good. Different. Yeah, man. Good, good resources. When you think about fatherhood and it's already coming out in your language, what do you think the role of the father is? So Ned, I, I, I should preface a little bit of this saying I was a, a local church pastor for 30 plus years and I still, mm. Um, I still go back to that. And I don't say this phrase on, uh, in public settings a lot, but I'm going to say it for your audience. Um, I love Jesus. I love the family and I love the church. Now to be frank, I don't love higher ed. I don't, I think business, I think higher ed, you know, education, I think healthcare, mm -hmm. I think government, those are all super important, but I don't love them. I love Jesus and I love the family and I love the church. And even though I was a pastor of local churches for 30 plus years, I actually love the family more than I love the church. So with that as background, let me say this. Uh, I think when you are fathering, you are involved in kingdom work. You, mm. When you're a father, you are imparting life, identity, direction, 
legacy into the life of a child. Uh, so many illustrations here, Ned, but um, my dad had a thousand flaws. He was a pastor. He had a thousand flaws, but I'm 59 years of age and, and I'll get teary eyed talking about it now. I have ingrained in my brain waking up at night. My dad was a night owl. He would kneel at the foot of my bed and pray over me. Hmm. And Ned, I will never forget that till the day I die. Till the day Jesus takes me home, my dad was had, you know, he was human. He had mess ups. He had yucky stuff like every human being does. And he loved Jesus and he loved me and he prayed over me. I'll never forget that. And by the way, all my siblings say the same thing. Wow. So it's, it's kingdom work, man. When you're a father, you're, you're imparting life and legacy and direction and hope and just calling out from your kids uh, who God made them to be. Well, it's, it's just the best. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you could go, oh, my goodness, that's scary. That's so scary that, that that's all on me. Or you can say, wow, how exciting that I have this incredible role to play and that I'm not just defined by some job I might have, right? Like, yeah, I might be this, that, or the other, but that means nothing compared to this role I get to play with this family. Yeah, and and Ned, I, I will tell you this, and I know it will sound trite a little bit, but I have this friend, uh, he's a pastor, and he, he said many years ago when we were working together, he said that his prayer every day was that God would be the God of the gaps. And I said, what mm. do you mean by that? And he said, well, he and his wife prayed, oh, they have a couple kids, over their, their parenting, they said, God, please fill in the gaps. Because how many of us know we all got gaps? I, I sometimes say the Rocky movies are really cool theology because uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know, yells out to Talia Shire, Go, uh, Adrian, you got gaps. I got gaps. That, that's uh, Ned. That's I love it. Yes. Yeah. You, you are messed up, dude. If you're listening to this and you're a father, you're messed up. You got gaps. I got gaps. You know, we all got gaps. That's good uh, theology from Rocky, at least in a little part of it. So, Ned, um, it is kind of overwhelming. Like being a parent is overwhelming and you're going to blow it a lot. And I blew it, you know, 10,000 times. But the amazing, awesome thing is how God just steps in. And if you humble yourself before him and just be honest with your kids and, uh, I'll even just tell you this as a grandparent, man, the stuff I stressed out as a parent, you know, like, are they safe and well-fed? Yeah, uh-huh. and, you know, and that's all important. But man, I just like get on the floor with my grandkids in ways that I probably didn't do enough of. I, I think I was pretty fun, but probably not enough of as a dad, just being present with your kids and sharing your life with them. That's, that's, that's like a lot of the battle right there. Yeah. Sharing your life with them. I think if, if more dads did just that one thing, if that's what we took away from this and just said, Hey, I'm going to share more of my life with my kids, give them more time. The world would look drastically different just based on that one thing. And, and Ned, um, I, I know not everybody has this work context, but, um, I remember pastoring a church one time and I remember getting totally convicted because I said something to my staff team, you know, eight or 10 folks. I said, Hey, I got to leave early today. I'm going to go coach my kids, a uh, baseball team. One of my boys was playing baseball and, and, and they looked at me like, oh, okay. And it occurred to me and I felt horrible. I was so convicted. I had not fully communicated to my staff team that not only would I bless them, but that I would exhort them to arrange their work schedule to maximize their time with kids. And I think like the general message came across, but that was a specific incident and it was burned into my heart. Mm. Like, 
oh my goodness, like I assume that you knew that I, if there's any way humanly possible in your work schedule and stuff that you would work a flex schedule and, you know, play ball with your kids or I, I, some of my kids were involved in dance and theater. So I would take them to re rehearsals and I would do whatever they needed to do. And, you know, it, sometimes it's just, it's just rolling on the floor with them. It's, it's yeah. running at the park. It's, it's not stuff that costs money. It's, it's just being with, you'll never regret one hour you spend with your kids. Ah, that's so good. That's so good. So the podcast is called the fatherhood field notes and you're already doing it where you're opening up your wisdom, you're opening up your field notes and you're sharing it with us. The theme behind it is rebel and create. And the idea with that is that we are rebelling against the status quo that the adventure for our lives is somewhere else and that we're creating lives where we're mastering the craft of fatherhood. So what's something that you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? So good. And uh, I'll try not to do this. Many years ago, people made fun of me, you know, ask me a question, I'll give you a book. So I'll try not to answer every time with a book. <laughs> but uh, John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, many years ago, was super helpful to me because as a pastor and as a, as a dude, as a guy, just hearing him say that, you know, men were made for an adventure to experience, uh, a beauty to win, an obstacle to overcome. So here's what I'm rebelling against. I think Ned, and you know this, I think you've got God's heart on this. I think we live in a culture that is um, anti-male. I think it's anti-family and I think it's anti-authority mm -hmm. and all those things I'm rebelling against. We need strong men. Um, I don't, maybe you can edit this out if I say a wrong word. We don't need wusses. And I'm yeah. not talking about Neanderthals. I'm not talking about a club where you, you know, grab the woman by the hair. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking men who say, look, man, I'm on this planet to make a difference. I'm on this planet. I'm fathering these children so that I can give them whatever I have. Maybe, maybe it's a little, maybe it's a lot, but man, I'm going after it in life. And men of purpose, men of valor, men of yes. courage, of, of, uh, of wisdom, man, I, I try, Ned. Somebody told me when I was in my 20s, I think, always talk to men. They said men. Uh, always talk to men who are like 10 to 15 years older than you. And I said, well, why is that? They said, well, because you can always learn, even if it's learning from their mistakes, you can learn from people yep. who are ahead of you in the journey. So I'm, I'm rebelling against an anti-male, anti-family, anti-authority. Um, again, I, I used to be a pastor, so I quote scripture a lot. So I, I don't apologize, but just explain. So John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the fingerprints of the enemy of our soul. He's trying to steal masculinity. He's trying to kill families. He's trying to destroy authority structures. The rest of that verse in John 10, 10 is that Jesus came that we could have life, life abundant and free. So John, thank you for sharing your rebellion, your create. Uh, I really love that. And that is what rebellion create is about, right? Is, is we are about pro-family, pro-male, and pro-authority because really we believe that the the man has a role to play in the home. Yeah. And like you said, it's not this, you know, barbarian uh, rule with an iron fist, quite the opposite, you know, from a, from a servant's heart. So as you and I were connecting, you sent me a lot of wonderful material about, you know, messages and things that you have given around family. 
And there was something that I circled that I really would like to talk about. And it was four truths that you would put down as far as for, for parenting. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to kind of go through those four truths. That'd be awesome. And I just, let me give you some context as, as foundation. Um, you know, every once in a while, you, you kind of find a, a verse or a passage that becomes a theme. So a man named Bill Butterworth, he doesn't even know this. Uh, I think I did tell him, uh, in fact, uh, years ago, uh, was teaching on this passage. And it's Psalm 127, which says, uh, 127 verses 3 and 4, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, Ned, I don't know what a quiver full is, but I'm thinking for you and me, it's five. For other people, yeah. it's two, and other people might be four, or whatever the number God gives you. Um, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The whole idea of that was the aim of biblical parenting is to have your children know God, honor him with their life. The whole idea of aiming children, that's the context for these four things I feel like God gave me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So the first one is children are a gift from God. So maybe talk about that with me for a minute. What does that mean to you? So Ned, I know I've talked about being courageous and and bold and all that, but um, when I was a little boy, I used to watch sad movies with my dad and I would cry. So apologies in advance to the men out there who go like, dude, I never cry. Uh, I get it. And I, and I want to be tough. Uh, and I think I am pretty tough, but um, I just, it, it pains my heart, Ned. You want to talk about rebel? We live in a culture that treats children as disposable inconveniences into the pleasure-seeking center lane of our life. I don't think I've ever said that out loud, but mm. man, Ned, we just have this thing where people go like, ah, children are a burden. They cost a lot of money. They freak out my schedule. They're, you know, you first have a baby and, and you know this, what happens yep. when you have a baby? Well, they're they're cute as can be when they come out of the womb and mom and dad are happy. And then you go through the first week, two weeks, month, few months. Life you get changes. No sleep. Yeah, you get no sleep. And you go, oh, my goodness. These things uh, poop and they eat and they sleep and they cry. And wh what and else do, it again. do they do? Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, it just changes everything when you see that precious child as a miracle of God. Like – I had the privilege. I know not everybody has this. I got to be in the in the delivery room all five times. Ned, I'm just telling you, man, dude, every time a baby was born, every one of our precious five children was like, oh, man, this is a miracle. Like, I have not stopped being freaked out, especially now that I'm a grandparent. I'm really freaked out uh, by the miracle of children. Children are a gift from God. They are God's stewardship. I, you, you get me preaching, but they, their children are like a sacred trust from God. And I know they get snot nosed and they get attitude and, you know, whatever, but they're a gift from God. And that, that just to me is the anchor of everything. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the, the delivery room, right? I mean, that's the moment where I go, how do you not believe in God? If you've watched your spouse, just deliver a human being like on one hand, so barbaric, you know, in our, yeah. in our everything's perfect world. And then on the other hand, just like gnarly, amazing. And you go, this is a miracle. And so I love that. So, so if you can anchor your belief in your role as a father, is that, is that first and foremost, you're saying your, your children are a gift from God. 
Yeah, that's for sure. And I would say this too, and, and uh, you know, I know this is all about men and, and uh, fathers and all that, but if you've ever been in the labor delivery room and you're a dude and you're a really tough dude, you're not so tough because your spouse who's giving birth to that child is heroic. Oh, uh, yeah. Like I've been married 41 years. And I look at my wife and just go, don't ever tell me she's weak. Do not ever tell right. me she's mm. weak. She gave birth to five children and I've watched her in situations where I think I would have wimped out. I definitely would have wimped out. Women are strong. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. So your number two truth was that we are accountable for this gift. Yeah. That's, so that's a heavy, that's a heavy, if you're going to accept that, like you are accountable. What does that mean? I mean, clearly we're talking about this from a faith position yep. that you're accountable to God, but, but talk to me about that. Yeah. So like we were talking at the beginning, it can, it can kind of feel sometimes overwhelming, Ned, like, oh my goodness, if, if, uh, if children are, you know, a gift from God, if it's a sacred trust, all those things, then, um, then that can seem overwhelming and like, oh, I'll never be good enough. And the right. truth is, admit that on on the first moment and you're good. It's just say, I will never be good enough. I'm, I'm not going to be a perfect dad. I'm not going to be a perfect man, be a perfect husband. But I would say this, um, Ned, the fact is, is that if Bill Gates were to come to you right now and give you a million dollars or 10 million and say, hey, I'm going to come back to you in uh, two years. And depending on what you do with that million or 10 million, which would freak all of us out, um, I'm going to split the profits 50% with you. I guarantee you what we do with that million or 10 million is that it's like the parable of the talents in scripture. We would work our hardest to both conserve the principle and then to grow it because we know we get 50% of the profits. So now let me say this to you. It's God who gave us our children. So our job is to steward to the best of our abilities, flawed and failing human beings, men who have gaps, to do the best we can to take this precious life, this young boy, this young girl, and just grow them up to maturity so that they love God and honor him with their life to the best of our ability. Right. By the way, they're all going to make their choices. They're going to they're going to decide on their future. They have to decide about God. They have to decide about their future and and uh if I could just go off on a tiny little bit of a tangent, please. it really bums me out, um, Ned, when I hear people of faith, like Christians, who go like, oh, I want my kid to have a good job, and I want my kid to have a good education. I'm a college president. You'd think I'd be for that. Uh, I want my kids to you know, have a nice house, and like all that stuff's important. It, it's not um, unimportant, but it's not the first thing. The yeah. first thing is for your children to love God and honor him with their lives. And I got five kids, Ned. My goal for every single one of my kids, first and foremost, and my wife and I have, now we have differences, but we are together on this. When our children love God and honor him with their lives, everything else is, you know, it's gravy from there because that's the foundation of everything. Yeah. And I mean, that really comes down to identity and purpose and value, right? So you would hope that a lot of those other things would fall into place. Like you said, if I know who I am and I can confidently go into the world, then a lot of those other things aren't going to be such a struggle or a worry um, because they don't define who you are. Yeah. And, and Ned, here's a, you just use a great word, the word of identity. And um, this is something I learned early on uh, as a parent. And again, messed up a thousand times, but the Proverbs tell us that in the tongue, is the power of life or death. 
you can speak life over your kids or you can speak death. Now, does that mean that you never correct your kids? Of course not. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, you know, if you love your child, you will discipline them. But the difference between discipline and punishment is that punishment is is always destructive. Discipline is always instructive and corrective. We're trying to redirect them. So um, when we think about parenting, it's super important to learn to control our tongue. What am I saying to my little girl? What am I saying to yes. my little boy? And so like, that, let's say they mess up. They do something really bad. So this is where it's, we're accountable Not my to God. Kids, but... Yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> say to them, you know, kids mess up. They steal something yes. or they mm-hmm. say the wrong word. It's going to happen. They, yep. They, they're selfish or something. You just go, look, man, I love you. You're awesome. I believe in you. What you just did was wrong. You are loved. You are precious. You are an amazing. And I believe greatness for you. I believe God's plan for you. But we need to talk about this particular behavior because it tells me something about what's in your heart. I think that one thing, you know, the power in the tongue that you as the father have such power in the way that you speak to your children it's critical to reflect on how we talk to our children, the words that we use, you know, and, and, you know, we might not think that we're being harsh, but how is it to a four-year-old? How is it to an eight-year-old, you know? And I don't think, and you're not saying this, that we need to coddle our kids. That's not what we're saying, but we are saying that you have to be in tune and aware of where they are and your role to play. Um, Yes, I just think I think it's so critical if we would think about the things that we're saying to our kids and how we're saying them. But that doesn't mean don't discipline them like you're saying. That is our job to discipline them. Actually, and if if you guys would take a chance to look in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, it uh, I think it's the 10th, 11th uh, verse or maybe 12th verse. It, it says that a loving father, a loving father must discipline their children. Mm. Um, and the, I don't know where people are age range and with their kids. Let me just tell you this age two to five and age 15 to 17 are very similar. And they're similar in this regard. It's the word boundaries or, or rules or fences age two to five, man, they're always pushing the boundaries. You say no to them three times and they just keep going to the edge age 15 to 17, very similar. And guess what? They've done study after study children who have clear boundaries, a dad and a mom who say, no, I love you. And here's the line. And there's consequences for that. There's discipline. Actually, children who are age two to five or 15 to 17 who have clear, loving discipline are way more secure. Hmm. The, The lie in our society is, oh man, what kids really want is they want to be boundaryless. That's a lie. Every 15-year-old, by the way, will tell you, don't give me a curfew. Don't tell me what time to be in. You right. know? And if you really love me, you would let me just be free. That's crazy. That's, that's the, sorry to use this phrase, but the Bible uses it. That's the company of fools talking. You know, yeah. That's a bunch of 15-year-olds talking. You're but I think that's so important for you to point out because like you said, you know, there is this kind of anti-family, anti-male, anti-authority movement. So there's this idea that if we want our kids to be happy, we're so focused on our kids' happiness yes. that we're going to let them kind of do what they want and let them dictate it. And that's just setting them up for failure because we all need some set of boundaries. Like that's how the world is set up. That's And so you got to prepare them for that. You know, that's so good while you're talking, Ned. I'm probably going to confess something, get me in trouble with law enforcement. But if you didn't give me any boundaries, I would always drive too fast. 
even with boundaries, I sometimes drive a little too fast. Uh, but, you know, you give me no boundaries, I'm going to be pressing the speed limit uh, or pressing the speedometer yeah, uh, yeah. up. And so boundaries are so important. That's why authority, if you rebel against authority, you never learn how to have a heart that's submitted and what workplace doesn't have rules? What what social setting doesn't have some sort of guidelines? Uh, if there's no boundaries, man, I, I take the popcorn out of the person next to me, their, their thing. So in the theater and, uh, you know, we just all need guidelines, rules. And so speaking life in a way that disciplines, calls people higher, man, that's super important. Yeah, which is really cool because this leads into your third um, truth. And that was that we are responsible to direct our children toward their future or the yep. future. Yeah. And and you kind of brought in the we're accountable. So number two is we're accountable for them. And so we're really pointing them towards the future. So what does that mean to you? Yeah. So um, a number of years ago, there was a book written by a guy named Stephen Covey. He's uh, since passed on, but he was a, a kind of a leadership guy. And he talked about organizations a lot. And it was seven habits of highly effective people. And one of those habits was you begin with the end in mind. So I like to tell people all the time, uh, Ned, and this I think will make sense if you if you think about it. We are not raising children. We are raising fully formed adults. Now, I know when that precious little baby's born. I know when that toddler's, you know, walking. I know when that little kid is is being a punk. I know when um, that pre-adolescent is, is starting to challenge your own behaviors. Like, it's hard to believe that we're raising fully formed adults. But from the beginning, your job as a parent is to prepare them to love God, serve him with their life, and you're preparing a fully formed adult, even when that precious little baby's in your arms at birth. it's Again, it's freakazoid. It can, it can overwhelm you. But I just think this, what has God deposited, Ned, in the heart of your child? How's God shaped them? I can tell you, man, I got five kids. Um, thinking about a couple of my kids right now. Um, one of my children just came out with a justice bone in their body. Happened mm. to be a girl. She like from childhood, man. She just was after justice, the right thing. I got another child that happens to be a boy, like super empathic. If people are in pain, that that who, by the way, that boy is bigger than me. He's a stud of a dude. He just loves to help people who are in pain. That was in him as a little boy. Um, so. We need to guard them and guide them and direct them towards the future to call that out, to tell them who they are and who they can be and help watch that. And, you know, they're still going to make all their own choices. You can't tell your, you can't control your kids. You can't, uh, I mean, it's easier when they're younger to control them, but right. when they get older, you can't force them to make decisions. You just hope and pray you've guided them well. But I really think that's part of the accountability, Ned, is to help shape their future and speak into that. And this is where I would learn. I want to encourage you, by the way, we all make mistakes, lots of them. I think I've been pretty transparent about that. Yeah. My kids who are in their 30s, they still want to know what dad thinks. Now, by the way, they want to know what dad thinks, but they're not guaranteeing they're going to do exactly what dad says or what mom says. But we try to keep those channels of communication open so that our kids can hear what we think God says. And you know what? I think they respect that and love us. And so you're always parenting, even when they're, I've had people tell me their kids are in their fifties and they, you know, they still go to dad and mom to at least get a perspective, to at least get a heartbeat. So how do you think you cultivated that trust for your 30 year old kid to come and ask you your opinion? 
Yeah. Um, this is, man, I'll talk about almost biting my tongue off. Uh, and as you can tell, I, I have no shortage of opinions, but <laughs> um, I think sometimes what you have to do, Ned, is that you have to, first of all, build a foundation towards this by trying not to make all your kids the same. I, I worried when I had my second child, oh my goodness, I'll never be able to love my second child as much as I love the first. How will I have as right. much love? Well, the cool thing is God actually expands your love every time you have another child. But I also tried to learn to let them be individuals. And when they got to those teenage years, by the way, instead of stomping down on them, instead of saying, no, you have to believe exactly what dad believes, I would just like, well, why do you believe that? Just mm. kind of engage them in, why do you believe that? What's what's the foundation? Now, by the way, if they told me their foundation was something other than God's word, if they tell me that today, I'll really challenge them. So, man, in my case, my kids have said they love Jesus and they're committed to the word. So if, if that's the truth, then I'm going to go after them. Hey, you know what scripture says? You know how Jesus went after this? Why are you letting social media? Why are you letting some news channel? Why are you letting your four friends shape how you believe because I think scripture actually says something about this. And so that foundation of truth, but I try not to do it with a sledgehammer. Um, here's a good parenting tip. Rules without relationship is a dead end, man. Rules mm. without relationship a lot of times ends in rebellion. And so uh, super important to keep that loving uh, open line of communication, help your kids know that you're for them, that you're, um, you're, you know, again, you're for them. You're not trying to make right. the first child and the third child be identical. Yeah. So it really sounds like, although, you know, although you do lead with scripture as a, as a point of reference, it's not the first thing that comes out of your mouth as far as like the sledgehammer approach, right? It's you're engaging them in conversation and not in a manipulative way, but you're getting them agree to, okay, what is the foundation by which you live your life? Okay, so now that we agree upon that, well, then if we turn to that foundation and then it's them almost telling themselves and figuring it out versus you just saying, well, you know, right off the bat, you're jumping into a conversation that maybe you weren't even invited into saying, well, you know, what the Bible says is this, this and this. So that I think is a huge shift in a father's role is to, to know how to cultivate that relationship, which is what you just said you do. Here, Ned, that's so good, man. You're so, so, uh, such a great warm heart the way you said that. I said it way better than I did. So thank you. Um, here's something I've been grappling with. And to be honest, I'm just going to raise my hand and say that I've failed many times. Um, the Bible says in John chapter one that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So those of us who are Christ followers or Christians are supposed to want to be like Jesus. So I've been thinking mm. about that passage. How can we be full of grace and truth? And now here's the truth about me, Ned, that I'm sorry to have to raise my hand on. My hardwiring is I want to be full of truth, man. I want to just, right. I want to lay down the marker and go, this is the way it's supposed to be. And I, I, as a man and as somebody who wants to be in control and authority, man, dude, I want to lay down the marker. But Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. It's the miracle of and. But I've always been interested, and now at age 59, super happy that grace came first. My childhood and my early 20s, man, I was all about truth. And I'm still all about truth. But I'm about grace and truth. I love what I'm hearing because I think, you know, Christians so much of the time get a bad rap for the truth piece. But 
what you have continued to admit in the last 45 minutes that we've been talking is you're starting from a place of I'm flawed. I've made 10,000 mistakes, Yep. right? So it's not this, oh, I live by the law. I live by the truth and I always do. And I'm going to hide anything that's not so that you, you know, because that's what we feel like we're supposed to do. You're going, nope, I'm flawed. Um, I need grace myself. That doesn't change the fact though, that I still have this role to play, but I'm going to lead with grace first because that's what I know have been extended to me. And then we're going to talk about the truth and we're going to base it on what I've taught you, you know, how I've raised you up. And I think what a beautiful dance you said. I love this, the word and because so much of the time, especially our culture, we just want, well, is it this way or is it that way? Well, the miracle of and is what you said, which is really cool. Um, Grace and truth. And those can coincide, can coexist together. Um, And that's the dance that we get to play. And as a father, sometimes you lean more into grace and sometimes you got to lean more into truth and it's not going to be the same for each kid. Like you said as well. That's so good. I was just going to say, and it's spot on to that. Uh, I have five kids. Um, I mm. can tell you the children that I never even had to raise my voice. I never had to like, it was just like a look at them. And then their, their heart was so like, they were automatically mm. disciplined. Like they, and then there were other kids. <laughs> it, it took a little firmer direction. And by the way, I was one of those kids. It took a little firmer direction. My poor dad and mom had to uh, administer justice a few times. Let's say it that way. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's a scripture, That's by good. the way, it says, uh, it's First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. And, and you just said it. Because God has forgiven us so much, because he's given us so much grace, who among us wouldn't want to be the person who gives grace. Like we should start there. Let's just admit we're not perfect. We all are messed up. We all need God's grace and we need God's truth. Mm, So good. Well, I know we're going to be wrapping this up, but the fourth truth, and I'm going to ask you a couple last things. So the fourth truth was to guard the heart of your child. Yeah. I'm going to read this passage uh, that that came from, and that was a real, I'm going to use the word revelation uh, to us, Ned. Uh, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Hmm. Wow. Um, Again, going to just confess some stuff, Ned. I can't tell you the number of times in my life where I've done the right thing, but in my heart was evil. In my heart was Hmm. the wrong stuff. And so I started reading through passages in the Old Testament and, and Proverbs, especially the Book of Wisdom, and going like, whoa, if you do the right thing, but your heart is evil, meaning your heart's not in the right place, eventually all your discipline to do the right thing is going to be worn down. And so really what you have to do is do what Proverbs says. You know, who to thunk it? The Bible actually told us the right way. Above all else, guard your heart. So I keep praying about me. This is about me, not parenting yet. God, make my heart right. So... Um, Ned, when I'm with a bunch of men in a camp setting, uh, I won't do this because we're on air, but when I'm with a bunch of men in a camp setting and we start getting kind of raw, hey, there's some trashy stuff that could happen in us men. But what we got to go is that's an issue of the heart. Like even if I never do all those trashy things I'm thinking about, I got to guard my heart. That's the first filter. What's in my heart? It's not just about controlling what you do. It's what's in your heart. Now let me talk about kids. 
So if you're a parent, it's really easy to go, did you clean your room? Did you eat your food? Did you, you know, not say bad words? I grew up in a Baptist church. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. You know, so you can like monitor all your out, your yeah. outside behaviors. But how many of you know who are listening to this that you could be like me? You could manage all your external behaviors and your heart is a million miles away from God. So this is what I would say. Guard the heart of your children. Always be praying. Always be asking, God, help me not just to watch my kids' behavior. They do need to clean their room, by the way. They do need to eat their food. They do need to do their chores. All that stuff. Yep, yep, yep. But of much greater importance than that is the heart of your kids. If you see rebellion, and this is where rebellion is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. If you see rebellion towards you know, fathers, rebellion against family, rebellions against authority, if you see that, then that's actually something that should break your heart as a parent, as a, as a dad. You should want to go after that and go, ah, uh, I have a, a child. He would know who he is, uh, who has pushed the boundaries a few times. And um, what I love about this is that he's pushed the boundaries a few times. But man, when God gets hold of him, he repents. He, he comes before God. He comes before his dad and mom and just says, man, this is where I am. And I will take an authentic, repentant human being over a polished, hidden, inauthentic human being every day of the week. Yeah, that's really good. So just pray that you can guard the heart of your children. And and that's part of what aiming the arrow well is all about is, is really saying what's in the heart of my children. Yeah. So kind of a tough question maybe, but um, what are one other, two other practical ways to guard the heart of your kids? So, you know, pray for them, watch them. Anything else, tips about guarding their heart? Yeah. So really guarding a heart is about motivation, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is going to be counterculture. So, you know, send the cards and letters to Ned. Don't send them to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a little worried, Ned, about a culture that always gives rewards for right behavior. And what I worry about that is, okay, if you clean your room, I'll give you $5. If you do this chore, I'll give you this, you know, ice cream treat. If you, if you do this, 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 then I'll, and it's always the, like, if you do the right thing, then I'll reward you. Guarding your heart, look for motive. Why does little Johnny or Susie, your little Johnny or Susie, why does your little Johnny or Susie want to obey dad? And hopefully it's because they're your father. Right. That's, that's where, you know, like true motive is there. Like I want to be pleasing to dad. And by the way, Men, we can totally twist this out of sequence. We can get to the point where we say, uh, yeah, you will obey me. And yeah, you should live to please me. And, and that's that's wrong, by the way, because God is first, right. not us. But a lot of times children get their conception of God as father through their earthly parents. And that, that'll freak you out. But as you do that, be a humble servant, but be watching your children as to their motive. Uh, if they lie to you, I'm way, I'm way more concerned about the condition of their heart mm, and the motive why they lied than yes. the specific lie. Yep, I'm concerned that's about the specific. Super lie. good. Yeah. Yeah. If we so could just important. shift that when our when our kids lie to us to get down to the motive, not just that we feel wronged that they lied. Okay. Two last questions because you got this, it. And you made this comment, and I just thought, oof, this is really good right now, and for dads to know this. You said parents are first, best and primary teachers of their children. Yeah, I'm I, okay. That is also kind of counterculture to I what we have been is. trained and, to believe. 
Yeah. So please, I know I quote Bible verses or script, go, go to Deuteronomy 6. You got to go to Deuteronomy 6. It tells us, teach our children when they lie down, when they rise up. And I think this is God's order. Remember I said that controversial thing at the beginning? I love Jesus, family, and church. And by the way, church yeah. in whatever context you have the community of faith. It doesn't have to be steeple and stained glass, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but but Jesus, family, church. I don't love higher ed. I don't love business in the same way. I think the family is God's first social institution. So when I say this, Ned, um, first, best, and primary, it's this. I, I have a sister who's a principal in, in uh, a K-12 district. She's a trained teacher. Her husband's a trained teacher. I'm a college president. There is nobody better equipped to teach your son or daughter than you. You live with them. You love them. You love them more than I will ever love them. I think I love the kids at Jessup. No way am I anywhere close. And by the way, your pastor and your school teacher, if, if you send them to a public school or private school, your, your pastor or your teacher will never love your kids as much as you do. It just, it's God's order. So that's why I'm saying you're their first best primary teacher. And by the way, you actually never can walk away from that responsibility. Hmm. You, you can send your kids to school, send them to public, private school, and, and you have to make that choice. Whatever you do, that's fine. You know, what, between you and the Lord, that's fine. But don't ever think that you can step away from your teaching role. You teach your children more every day in the way you live your life than your math teacher is ever going to teach that child. Yes. You are their everyday walking around teacher and much of learning is caught, not taught. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Okay, John, so good. I know we could just talk for hours about fatherhood. So my last question for you, and this is an interesting, um, as you have grandkids now, is this is a legacy question. So my question to you is, if you're peering into your grandkids' homes in 25 years from now, okay, so they're in their 30s, they have a couple of kids, what is the legacy that you see with some of the daily decisions, actions, words, language that you use that if you're standing out on the street looking through the window at your, your grandkids, what do you see that you know, whether they acknowledge it or not, you imparted and passed down to them through the man that you are today? And Ned, um, I told you I'm one of those dudes who, when I was a little boy, cried at sad movies. So just asking that question brings some tears to my eyes because- I'm 59 in 20, uh, 20 years, 25 years. If the Lord allows me to tarry, I'll, I'll be in my late seventies, early eighties. And just, I do dream about that. I think about that. So right now I have all granddaughters. I pray for grandsons in the future, but, um, what I pray I'll see is this. Um, my wife is a, is a prayer warrior. My, my wife is a, Man, she's just a lover of God's word and a, and a, and a prayer warrior. So I pray that, that my grandchildren are in a home where their spouse loves Jesus and where they love Jesus and where they're people of prayer. I pray that they're people of the word, that like they're, they're getting God's word in their life. They're getting God's word as a foundation. Um, I would pray that they um, love the world around them. I think God calls us not only to be full of grace and truth, but to be full of 
to be salt and light. So I'm praying that my grandchildren 20, 25 years from now are in homes that, that wherever God places them, whatever neighborhood, whatever high rise, whatever setting, that they will love God that they will love other people, they'll love his word, they'll be people of prayer, that they'll be people with servant's heart. There's one more thing that I've prayed for, um, and it's not for my children and my grandchildren to be, you know, pastors or missionaries. That's, that's uh, you know, obviously I'd celebrate that, but that's not the, my primary focus. I want them to know who they are as sons and daughters of the king. Hmm. Like, I think we're royalty. And I know people can say, well, gosh, that's kind of arrogant. Well, it's not arrogant. It's a humility. Um, Jesus is my king. The, the Father is my king. The Holy Spirit, same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me according to God's word. And so I want my grandchildren to know that they're royalty. So I want to treat my little girls as princesses. And by the way, I get it. We live in a culture that freaks out about that. I don't apologize. My yeah. little granddaughters are princesses, and I'm going to treat them that way, and I'm going to love them that way, and call forth their beauty and all of its manifestations. We live in this sick, twisted, weird, you know, visual culture, but I'm going to call forth beauty in every dimension of my precious granddaughters. And 25 years from now, I want them to know I'm a child of the Most High. I'm a princess. You'll get me preaching here, Ned, but I just um, love the idea of legacy. And mm. by the way, an older man in my church many years ago, one of my churches said, um, you know, John, there's this proverb that says, blessed is the man who stores up an inheritance for his children's children. Now, at first, I was just thinking about that at finances. Oh, okay, I need to prepare. If I raise my kids right, they'll do okay. But maybe if I could prepare enough financially, I could give a little bit to my grandkids. So, and I think that's fine. That's a good application. There's something else, Ned. I Your question I need to be able to make a deposit into my grandkids' life. I've done the best I could. My wife's done the best she could with our children. We made mistakes, but I think we had a lot of successes as well. I need to make deposits not only into my children, but in my children's children, give them an inheritance. And I hope what they uh, inherit from grandma and from papa, that's my grandparent name, nice. from papa, is a legacy of faith, a legacy of love, a legacy yeah. of service, nothing better than that. Yes. Oh, John, thank you so much. Um, I absolutely love talking fatherhood with you, hearing your fatherhood field notes, hearing your, your love and vulnerability, transparency and honesty, and uh, just keep being yourself out there in the world and uh, making a difference, loving people. Well, can I just thank you for what you do, Ned, and for your community. I love this rebel and create framework, and I hope that your community out there, man, let me just say a quick word to you. We live in a world that's often going downstream, and you got to swim upstream. Mm -hmm. But if salmon can do it in the wild and say, I've got to get back, then you know what's in God's heart for you to be fathers, and you're fathering your children and you're also just by living a, a life that's aiming towards Jesus, aiming towards being a great dad, aiming towards being a, a man of courage and conviction, uh, you're influencing other people around you. How many of you know there are young boys and young girls who are desperately looking around in our culture saying, is there any man that is living the kind of life worthy of me emulating? Is there any man who's a model? And thankfully, I think what you're doing, Ned, is you're creating a, a resounding yes to that question. Mm. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. Have a great day.
You too. Wow, just incredible, guys. I mean, there's something about listening to a man who's ahead of you in life share his wisdom. You know, John said he's 59, I'm 37, he's got five kids, they're all moved out of the house. He's got grandkids now. He's lived life that I haven't yet lived. And so for me to allow him to speak into my life, your life, our lives, that's incredible. Now, I don't know what age you are listening to this, but I will tell you there is something that is definitely fulfilled in me after a conversation like that with a dude who's ahead of me in life. And I think that's a little bit lost in our day and age. And I would encourage you. If you see men who are ahead of you, now it doesn't necessarily have to be age, but their kids, you know, the, their business, their, wherever they are, they're ahead. They've kind of experienced things you haven't. Um, you've been married 10 years. They've been married 20. Go ask them about it. And nobody's perfect. So don't base the wisdom they share on thinking they're perfect. But to go and say to a man, hey, you know what? I've noticed X, Y, or Z about you. Would you talk to me about that? Like, how'd you get there? What'd you notice? What worked? What didn't? First off, if anybody asks me that, I know that there's this sense of pride to go, wow, you know, like humbly, let me talk to you. I definitely don't have it all figured out, but let me share what I do know. So people want to share, men want to share. And I think that you and I, if we allow men to speak into our lives, there's a lot that we could gain and we could learn. So super incredible. Loved it. Hey, you guys, I have a goal. Okay, I'm about to come up on a hundred podcasts and I would like to get a hundred reviews on the podcast because on iTunes, when you review the podcast, it helps boost it when parenting, fatherhood, those things are searched. So please go into iTunes, take a couple of minutes. We put a lot of work into this crafting, just valuable information for you. If you could take a few minutes and write a review, that would be so appreciated. And if you liked it, share it with somebody, send it to a friend. Um, that's how this stuff moves around. And, you know, we really believe that fatherhood matters and we want the world to know it. That would help tremendously. Every Monday, I'll put out the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast interviewing great dads. If you're interested in a shorter podcast, I put one out every Friday. Still falls under Rebel and Create, but it's called Craft of Fatherhood. And I discuss questions sent to me. So if you have a question you want me to talk about, email ned at rebelandcreate.com. I don't have it all figured out, but would love to dig into your question. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Do not be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. Talk to you next time. 